If you've been uh, part of our December so far, you know that uh, last week uh, we began a series entitled God in Our Midst. And uh, this is our focus for December, is remembering that God has stepped into our midst. Another way to kind of think of it is maybe that God has stepped into our mess, uh, that in the tangled uh, mess that sometimes is our lives. And I know that, again, we might, uh, as I commented last week, uh, we might feel that a little bit more acutely here in 2020, but the reality is that humanity and the world has, has been messy and will continue to be messy. It's been messy since the beginning of those first humans. When sin entered the world through those first human beings, we know that life has been messy for us, and it will continue to be messy for us. And so we've been, we've been, we've been um, th- thinking about and hopefully causing you to reflect a little bit about how God didn't ignore that, how he didn't shy away from that, but, but instead that he stepped into it. Last week we began uh, the talk with uh, one of the verses from uh, Psalm 42, where that psalmist writes, why, I ask myself, are you so depressed? Why are you so, so upset inside? Hope in God. That was our focus last week, was on how in a, in a time of darkness, in a time of despair, in, in a time of, of, of discouragement and, de- and depression, we're reminded to hope in God. That there is a way out of that place and that God steps into our lives so that we can have a way out. In another psalm, Psalm 62, the psalmist reminds us as he talks to himself that his soul is waiting quietly before God because he is that psalmist's only hope. Uh, A different translation in the easy-to-read version, it it goes this way. I must calm down and turn to God. He is my only hope. And so last week, uh, I hope that it was an encouragement to you to to put your hope in God. That that despair, that disillusionment, that discouragement, that that place of darkness doesn't have to be uh, our end. But instead, God offers us hope in Jesus Christ. This morning, we're turning our attention to love. And when we look at our world, we recognize that our world is full of all sorts of things that are unloving. There's irritation, there's fury, there's rage, and there's ire. People are infuriated. There's a lot of hatred. There's anger. There's scorn. People revile one another. Sometimes we can just be disgusted at the way in which we communicate loathe for one another or for one another's positions or opinion. Genuinely, there seems to be a contempt that people have one another. People are resentful. They're literally revulsed by one another. There is an apathy to the place where almost as if people don't care about one another. There's, there's a spirit of antagonism. There's a high level of animosity. We dislike one another and we dislike what we're experiencing. There's an irritation and there's an exasperation. That's what our experience so oftentimes is, is those kind of, of adjectives and adverbs. And yet, in the midst of that, God, through his gift of Jesus, brings us love. We can experience that. Again, that's, that's not just pastor speak. That's not just something I say because I have to say it or because you expect me to say it. I believe that love is Uh, able to be experienced in the midst of all of this because of 
this first fact. This first fact is that love, love, everything we know about love, it is at the core of God's being. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says this, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. This was one of the reasons I shared with you last week that we have hope. We have hope because God is, God is here, and God is love. We have hope because God is love. It is is central to his, his core identity, his being. It's at the core of that. It's at the, it's at the center of that. We can experience love because love is at the core of his being. And so when we say that God has stepped into our midst, if God is love and God has stepped into our midst, if God has stooped down in the incarnation in the person of Jesus, then that means love is in our midst. God steps in and he brings love because Secondly, showing love is what God is all about. Showing love is what God does. It's interesting, the writer of Romans, Paul, as he's talking with uh, those first, uh, first generation believers in chapter five of that letter that he wrote to them, he says in verse seven that, you know, it's rare for, uh, for anyone to die for even a righteous person. But occasionally, it, it might happen. It might, be, it might take place that, a, that someone would choose to die for a good person. But he says, in contrast to that, the way that kind of humans act. In fact, when we, use that, when we use that term, that phrase, sometimes we'll say that to each other. I would die for them. It's most likely that phrase is in reference to a family member or a really, really, really good friend. Right? We don't say that about people that we don't care about. It's used as a phrase to demonstrate how much we care about those people that we love. Again, most, most of the time, family members are incredibly good friends. But here's how God shows love. Paul says in that next verse of Romans chapter 5, God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is all about showing us his love. Not showing love to people who deserved it. Not showing love to people because he had this, his, the, the, this uh, incredible, like, loving, mutually beneficial relationship with us. I love how kind of Eugene Peterson kind of uh, captures this in his paraphrase of the message in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. Peterson says this as he paraphrases this passage. He says, it's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy And with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. I love that phrase, immense and in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. That's the story of the incarnation. That's the story of God stepping into our midst, stepping into our mess, stooping down. That's the story of Jesus who didn't consider equality with God according to what Paul told the Philippians in chapter 2. He didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he took took the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He became obedient to that, even obedient to death, even death on a cross, a criminal's death. That's the story of the incarnation. That's the story of Christmas that God, with this immense mercy and an incredible love, embraced us. 
That's what God loves to do. He loves to show us his love. And not because, again, he looks at us and, sa- and, and says that, that we had done something to, to earn it or merit it. We didn't merit God's love. Scripture says that because of our brokenness, because of our sinfulness, God says, and Paul in that, in that same letter to the Romans says, the wages of sin is death. And just like the paraphrase from Ephesians said, our, our lives, they were sin dead, but God gives us life because he loves us. Love is at the core of God's being, and showing it is what he does. That's what he's all about. It's not because, again, of something that we did. It's simply because we, being created in his image, are the objects of his love. We who were created in his image, the prize of his creation, are people that he loves showing love to. Another scriptural writer, John, brings this out in 1 John chapter 4 when he says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The manger was just a, uh, the, the, the gift of the incarnation um, and the manger and the story of the birth of Jesus was always, Jesus was always on a fast track toward the cross He was moving toward his eventual death in Jerusalem. What began in Bethlehem, again, always, Jesus always had on his mind his eventual destiny in in Bethlehem because he knew that he had been given the task of redeeming this broken world back to his father through love. John chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 reminds us of that, right? God loved loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Whoever whoever believes in him, we we wouldn't perish, but we'll have eternal life. Why? Because John goes on to say, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, right? He didn't send his son in the world as as, as a way to bring guilt to the world, but because he loves the world, he sent his son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Showing love is what God does because It's at the core of his being. God's character and his actions are completely consistent. Because God is love, he shows love. Because God is love, he is loving to us. That's a great thing for us to to be reminded of. Not only during difficult times, not only at the Christmas season, certainly now, certainly during difficult times, certainly in the, in the rhythm of our year as we're in December, but always to know that we are the objects of his love because it's at the core of his being is a, is a message that we need to hear often. And, uh, and, and it needs to be something that settles from something that we understand intellectually with our minds down into our hearts so that we really can begin to more fully comprehend that. We're going to get to that at the, at the very end of today's talk. Love is at the core of God's being. Showing love is what he does. And has, as, has already a little bit been implied by some of the verses and, and things I've shared already, love is how and why we're his. That's the way that we become the possession of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John writes, How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us. He finishes that verse by saying that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Because God is love and because it delights 
him to show us his love. He gave us the gift of Jesus. And as we respond in faith, just like John 3.16 said, right? If we believe in that reality that the, that the gospel is true, that Jesus is the, the one who was given as the sacrifice for our brokenness, for our sinfulness, for our lostness, so that he can make up the distance in the separation that we experience between us and our creator. If we believe that, then we are his children. How great is his love that he's lavished on us that we should be called his children. That's what we are, again, not because of anything we've done, not because of the incredible love that we showed to him, but because of the love that he showed to us. So when you go back and you, you think about all those words that I, that I shared at the beginning of the talk and, you, and you're reminded about what our, li- our human experience is in this, er, in this world, that experience of irritation and fury and rage and ire and scorn, that, 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 that experience of contempt and disgust, of being revulsed, of people being apathetic toward one another, of this high level of animosity and dislike and irritation and exasperation, God offers something else. He offers love. Love because it's who he is, love because he delights to show it to you, and love so much that you become his, his daughter, his son. It's interesting when you think about it. Because the core identity of God is love, guess what our core identity is for those of us who receive that truth of the gospel? We are his beloved. Beyond anything else, we are the objects of this incredible mercy, grace, and love. Before we get into, you know, being uh, of what we do and how we live in, 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 in any other way, Our core identity is we are the people who have been incredibly loved by God. And so to see yourself as one who is loved, not scorned by God, not disliked by God, not reviled by God, not irritated by God, not annoyed by God, but you are loved by God. That could change the way we experience life. Some of us grew up in families where our parents were incredible. They loved us unconditionally. They provided for us in so many ways. They were there for us. They were consistent. They were not erratic. They were responsible. They were incredible, loving, solid moms and dads. But we didn't all grow up in a family like that, right? Some of us grew up in families where our parents were a little bit more conditional with their love. Some of you even may have grown up in families where it was incredibly unhealthy and you experienced abuse and pain. And that's what you think of when you think of your earthly parents. How incredible it is for us to know that that's not the way God views us. It's because of his deep-seated, foundational, and real love for us. That just like, uh, Eugene, uh, just like Peterson paraphrased there in Ephesians, he embraced us. He didn't wait for us to clean ourselves up or get it right or make good decisions or display responsibility. No, in our brokenness. What did Paul say to the Roman, Roman believers while we were still sinners? In our lostness, he demonstrates how much he loves us. And so don't, 
don't take that verse that I shared a few minutes ago and just let it, let it kind of pass over you real quickly and not settle into your life. That reality that the Father has lavished his great love on you, so much so that you should be called his daughter or his son. That's what you are if you believe in Jesus is the way. You are his beloved. So love is important because it's at the core of his being, God's being. Showing love is what he delights to do. In fact, it's why and how we're his. Love is also how we're called to live. Love is how we live. Why? Well, first and foremost, because it's how he lived. When Jesus was on earth, he was a person who demonstrated incredible love. So much so that he loved people that others either ignored, were repulsed by, were upset at, were annoyed by, didn't care about. Those people who would, maybe we could call them the, the, the less than lovable, he delighted to show his love to them. And because of that, those first followers of Jesus, that, that must have made such an incredible impression on their lives. That it became such a, such a characteristic feature of the, of, the, of the early church, of those first generation Jesus followers. One of those, John, wrote to Christians in 1 John chapter 4, and, and, and this is kind of at the, at the beginning of, of this section. I shared a, another verse from this chapter earlier, uh, verse 10, but at the beginning of this section, John says, Dear friends, let us love, let us continuously, excuse me, let us continuously love one another because love comes from God. Now, it makes sense, right? If Jesus comes from God, God gave us his son. If Jesus comes from his father, then, of course, Jesus comes as what? Love. And so it makes sense that, that then his, for his followers, one of the leaders and one of the writers, one of the, one of the kind of like the pastors of those, John, one of the, would say to them, let us continually love one another because love is from God. It's, again, it's who he is. It's what he does. And so it makes sense that, that, that he would say that. He goes on and, and through that section, that passage there in 1 John chapter 4 and just uh, in, in reminding them and, and, and urging them and, and continuing to impress upon them the importance of love. And as, as kind of as he's wrapping that section up, he says this kind of simple thing. We love, the reason we love, the reason is how we live is because God first loved us. We live out love because God showed love to us. So it makes a difference in our lives. This isn't something that, that they understood, you know, and they created out of, their, out of some vacuum. They just didn't pick out this principle from the air and, say, and, and said, man, that really sounds good. It sounds right. But instead, it was something they learned from God in the flesh, from Jesus, from God the Son. Because God came bringing love, they learned that from him. He directly said to them in John chapter 15, my command is this, love each other, excuse me, love each other as I have loved you. They, when he said those words, they heard them the first time. They probably didn't understand how significant they were. They probably didn't grasp at that point the depth of what he was talking about when he said, love each other as I have loved you. 
but they would come to, to know what he meant when he says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus laid down his life every day by inviting them to be part of it. He laid down his life every day by developing them into the people that God wanted them, wanted them to be because he, he knew that he would be turning over God's mission of redemption to them. Not that they would die for others, but that they would share that message of hope and love that they had learned from their rabbi, from their teacher, from their Lord, from their Savior, from Jesus himself. And so maybe they didn't understand those words when he first said them, but I'm sure they rang true in their minds and in their hearts, you know, months and weeks and years later when when they would remember that he said, love each other as I have loved you, the way that I laid down my life for my friends. And not only that, but Jesus actually kind of raised the bar. Not only did Jesus call them to lay down their life for their friends, but he, but he told them in, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, that you have heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now why could Jesus, how could Jesus say that? And why would, he, why would anyone ever expect us to love that way? Because we love the way we're called to love as his followers, the way God loved us. Remember, it wasn't when we had it all right. It wasn't when we had demonstrated that we deserved it. It wasn't when we had developed all this uh, character that God responded with by, by showing us his love. But instead, while we were sin- sinners, while we were broken, while we were disobedient, while we were rebellious, rebellious, It was then that he demonstrated his love to us. So Jesus calls of his followers to not just love the persons who you deem worthy of your love, but to love your enemies, to pray for those people who persecute you. Jesus knew that that incredible task of being agents and ambassadors of a God whose core identity is wrapped up in love he knew that would be significantly challenging, significantly challenging for, for them. And he knew that, that they needed the help of, of his father to be able to be people who were sent in the same way that he was sent to demonstrate love. And so in, in John chapter 17, this is before, shortly before Jesus is, is going to die, Jesus says in verse 18 of that, as he's praying for these disciples, he's, he's praying for those first followers of his, and he, and he says to God, you know, don't take them out of the world. They're going to stay in the world. In fact, as, as you sent me into the world, I have, sent, I have sent them into the world. And so he's praying, asking his father to protect them as he is sending them the way that God, in fact, has sent him. And what did God send Jesus to do? To be on a mission of love. <laughs> It's exactly, I mean, that, that's clear from his life. That's clear from what I've, I've shared with you today. And so that Jesus, before he died, he prayed that very thing that, that, that God would, would protect them and, and empower them as they were being sent into the world in the way that he himself was. And then later, after his death and after his res- resurrection, in fact, on the evening of the day that he was raised back to life, Jesus appeared to his followers, those first disciples, they were behind locked doors, we learn in John chapter 20. Of course, why? Because, of course, they were afraid. 
He greeted them twice with the phrase, peace be with you. And then he said to them the same thing that he said to his father. As the father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Those words ring true for all of us. We are the sent ones of God. We are the ones who have been sent in the same way that the Son has been sent to us. We are sent on a mission of love. And we can only do that. Why? Because, of course, he first, he first loved us. Love comes from God. We know that from 1 John 4, right? So if love comes from God and Jesus comes from God, we know that ultimately those things are wrapped up. They're synonymous with each other. It's God's demonstration of love. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but instead that we might be saved because he so desperately loves us. And so we, for those of us who are the redeemed people of God, who are the, who are the children of God because of that great love, we are called to be his agents and ambassadors of God's love. And so it's something that needs to overwhelm us. It's something that needs to get, again, beyond our minds, our intellectual understanding and acceptance of it, and settle in our hearts that we are his beloved and that we're called to live in love. That doesn't mean that we can make everything all together 100% better. There's not going to be a complete reversal of fortune. But I would say if God's people were consumed with their identity as the beloved of God and that they were called to live in love, we could make a difference in the human experience, even on earth. Does that mean it's going to be made perfect? Absolutely not. But think of tens of hundreds of thousands of tens of thousands of even millions of people who know Jesus as Savior, who have received his love. Think if that became so overwhelmingly significant and important to them that they began to live with that as their primary objective. To demonstrate the love of the one who is love. I think that's why Paul prayed for some of those first followers of Jesus in the following way. He wrote to the Christians at Ephesus in chapter 3 of that book. This is what he prayed for them. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high And deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge beyond the mind. (laughs) That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I pray that same thing for you. For us. For everyone who's hearing my voice right now whether it's live or you're watching a few days later. I pray that you would be able to grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. 
so that that could be something that is surpasses knowledge, becomes something that is who you are. Not just something that you occasionally do, but it's who you are because it's how God has recreated you as his son or daughter. I know life brings with it sometimes all those things that I described at the beginning of the message. But I know there is another way. There is the way of the Father. There there is the way of the one who is love. There is the way of the one who shows it to us. And by it makes us his own. And calls us to live in that very same reality. Could that be what you would want to step into this morning? By faith, receiving that message of hope that is in Jesus in his sacrifice for our sin that we might become his children. If that's something that you would like to talk to someone about, as I often mention during these, these online services, there, there are links that are dropping into the, the chat feature of the stream you're watching, and you can click on one of those, and as you click on that, it will take you into a conversation with a staff person here at Calvary. If you'd like to know more about what it means uh, to walk in love, what it means to receive Jesus, re- receive the love of God uh, through, the, through the sacrifice of Jesus. This morning also, if you were a regular part of Calvary or if you, if you get our, our uh, e-announcements, you know that uh, we, we're going to be observing communion at the end of, to- of today's service. If you just jumped on today and you weren't prepared to do that, that's no big deal. You're going to have time. Uh, you can run to the kitchen, grab something that would serve as a liquid, something that would serve as a, a, a cracker or a little piece of bread. And uh, we're going to observe communion today. So if you, you don't have to be a member, of course, of, of, of Calvary or any local church, if you've received the good news of Jesus as, as, as Savior, then we invite you to become, or we invite you to take place, uh, take part in the communion that we're going to experience here today. In just a minute, uh, Rich and Emma are going to be coming up. They're going to lead us in a, in, a, in a little bit of a time of worship so that you can grab uh, those elements if you haven't already have them prepared uh, to share in communion. And then when they're done leading us in that, in that song, I'll come back up and we'll eat and drink together. So hold those elements until I come back up, okay? To get us uh, kind of moving in that direction, I'm, I'm going to pray and then Rich and Emma will lead us in that time of worship as you prepare for communion. Heavenly Father, the, the words thank you for the love that you demonstrate to us seem so <laughs> less than adequate. But we do thank you. We're filled with gratitude humbled by the fact that you would love us so much that you would step into this mess that you would sacrifice your own son that we might be your children I pray God right now and there would be someone who needs to receive that truth today I pray that you would simply draw them to yourself I pray, God, also as we prepare to remember the gift of your son in the flesh, 
and his shed blood that gives us life. That it would be more than a religious ritual. It would be more than something we do every once in a while in a worship service. They would be powerful reminders of the importance of the incarnation. Powerful reminder of the sacrifice that establishes us as your children. We pray these things in the name of the one you gave us, of the one who saves us, Jesus our Lord. Amen. King of heaven, you stepped from your throne, took on our flesh and made this world your home. Trembling in reverence, Lord, we look above, overcome by such unmerited love. Jesus, my Savior, I bow at your birth, awed by the mercy that brought you to earth, leaving the angels in glorious light for the deep shadows of Bethlehem's night. King of heaven, born low to save me. Gracious Redeemer, you looked upon me. Long before Eden, you knew my great need. Woven through history, a rich crimson thread. Your plan, salvation in this manger bed. Oh, what a wonder! How, oh, how could it be? Oh, sacred. King of heaven, born low to save me. Thank you.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, at a meal that he was enjoying with uh, his first followers, his best friends, he took a piece of bread and he broke it, tore pieces from it, and he passed it, asked the, the guys to, to pass it among themselves and to take a piece of it and eat it. And about that bread, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's remember the gift of God in the flesh as we eat together. After the supper, Jesus took a cup of wine and he again asked those friends to pass it among themselves and to take a drink of it, each of them. And about that wine that was in that cup, he said it was the blood of the new covenant. The covenant of love that was cut between God and us. It's dependent upon, not upon our effort or anything we could do. Our righteous acts, our attempts at self-righteousness or justification, self-justification. It wasn't dependent upon any of those things. The covenant was dependent upon the shed blood of Jesus. And in that shed blood, we have life. Let's remember that in the way Jesus instructed us to as we drink together. Pray with me just before the worship team comes up and leads us in our last song together. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to, be, to remember, to be reminded of the, of the gift of, of God, your son in the flesh and of his shed blood. We worship you, God. We adore you. We love you as a response of the love that you first showed us. We pray that you would continue, Lord, to just impress upon our hearts this incredible gift of mercy and grace that you bestow upon us. We worship you today in the name of Jesus.
Amen.
Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We so appreciate uh, you being here at the service. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. We pray that you would understand uh, the depth with which God loves you and that you would receive that and walk in that, uh, not only now, uh, but as the days go by. Look forward to seeing you uh, soon. I hope that you have a great week. And let's uh, pray real quick as we, uh, as we exit the service today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this time together. We thank you, Lord, that you are not bound uh, by anything. And that though it's a, a very unusual time and a difficult time for us, that, that you can be in our midst even as we gather in this uh, unique way. We thank you for that. We thank you for blessing us. We pray that you would bless each one, Lord, and that you would help us again to, to understand the depth of the love that you have for us and that we would walk in that love as we go throughout our everyday lives. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Thanks again for being here. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you soon.